Welcome this afternoon to, uh, to this seminar. This is uh, called The Power of a Man. I'm Edgar Meister. This is my wife, Judy. And uh, I'm a physician in uh, orthopedic surgery, actually. This is not exactly the area that most orthopedists usually are involved in. And my wife's a psychiatrist. It's really more the area that women uh, tend to be involved in. Let's begin with prayer. Dear Father, we thank you so much for the privilege that we have to be here this afternoon. And we pray, Lord, that you may impress us with the important truths that you have to teach us. May we have hearts that are open to your spirit, and as a result, may our lives be different and transformed and changed as we view you and as we see our tremendous need for you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I had a patient that uh, I was seeing on a regular basis. So she's a 55-year-old female. And she had had uh, multiple orthopedic surgeries. She'd had four surgeries on her left hip, four surgeries on her right hip, four surgeries on her right shoulder, and four surgeries on her left shoulder, four surgeries on her back, and four surgeries on her neck. She was an orthopedic nightmare. And it was interesting that uh, I took care of her. I did added one of those four. Edgar, the public address system is an Can No. It is on. You hear me better there? Not but if I talk like this, you do, huh? <laughs> you hear me better there? Okay. <laughs> so this uh, lady, she was an orthopedic nightmare. She wanted to be seen every one to two weeks. And I, I actually did uh, like a shoulder on her, and she had a rotator cuff. It was a really bona fide orthopedic problem. And uh, I did another surgery on her. She'd had a, oh, I, I forgot about her foot. She'd also had a, a metatarsophalangeal joint that had been operated on, had a total, uh, had a total joint done. And, uh, but she wanted to be seen every one to two weeks. And as I, I got acquainted with her, I, I, w I couldn't really see her that often because she'd take so much time. It was like, um, uh, like the, um, Brian Schwartz mentioned earlier in the Amen conference that he had a, a patient that came in and spent 45 minutes. This lady was 45 to 50 minutes to an hour. It was impossible to, to cut her off. And they never put her in the, in the, at the end of the schedule, which they should have. They put her in the middle of the schedule, so it ruined my schedule. And, and I tried really hard to terminate, and I just couldn't. Um, but uh, um, I tried to put her off like every four to five, six weeks, and she wanted to be every one to two weeks. So we compromised it about every two to three weeks. But there was a look of sadness in her eyes, and uh, I found out that her husband verbally abused her. Um, she, would, uh, um, she would come home, and, and uh, maybe her, they'd have an argument. And though, instead of going and getting resolution to the argument, then her husband would get angry, and then he'd go and he'd storm out, and then he said, I'm just going to leave. And she said, oh, no, please don't leave. That'd be the worst thing you could do. Please don't. No, I'm, I'm so sorry. She'd immediately become very repentant of whatever she had said that probably was correct in the way she was being influenced by him. And so uh, she felt trapped in the situation. She felt terrorized. She didn't really know what to do. She was a Christian. She knew that was not an option to divorce. And so uh, she even took the blame, as so many women do. So why do you suppose she had so many orthopedic problems? And so uh, one day when, when we were talking, I, the thought came to me, and I think it was the Lord, and the thought came to me, um, you know, you don't need to really continue doing this, and uh, don't allow him to intimidate you. Uh, when he threatens to leave, tell him, well, I'll help you pack. And so um, you're worth way more than to allow this to continue to go on, release him. 
And so, uh, uh, you know, I didn't see her for about six months and I began to kind of miss her, you know. <laughs> and one day she came in, she was beaming from ear to ear. And I thought, what happened to you? She said, well, I did what you suggested. And of course, you know, we see so many people that I didn't remember what I'd said. And she reminded me of what I had told her. She said, well, the next time when my husband threatened to leave, I said, well, I'll go help you pack. And he was so shocked by it, he didn't know what to do. And uh, in fact, he began to stop manipulating her. And he, uh, interestingly enough, how God does these things, he himself came down with a chronic illness and chronic pain. And he asked her, is this what you've been experiencing? this chronic pain. She said, yes, that's exactly what I've been experiencing. He said, really, I had no idea that you were experiencing something like this. Um, and he became much more sympathetic towards her. And you know, she, you know, I don't know that I even saw her again after that. Uh, I, she didn't really need any more orthopedic surgery. I mean, it's amazing how many people have trouble because of the way that they're being impacted in a negative way, by, especially women, by their husband. So did he have a self-sacrificing love for his wife? He didn't at first, but he began to develop one. And so uh, we're going to begin with five testimonies, page 332. This is such an important um, concept that I, I thought we needed to uh, address it. We must search the scriptures with humble hearts, trembling at the word of the Lord, if we would not be in any way deceived in regard to our true character. There must be persevering effort to overcome selfishness and self-confidence. Self-examination must be thorough, that there be no danger of self-deception. Is it possible for us to be deceived? Oh, yes. I remember there was a, a pastor's wife. She said to my wife, I've read all the spirit of prophecy through, and um, I cannot be deceived. And yet, in the very, at the very time that she was saying that, she was involved in a deception that was uh, tragic. And so um, the, the concept of love in the Old Testament is ahav. We've shared this before. I just wanted to just uh, re, uh, briefly uh, review it again. Ahav means to reveal the heart of the Father. This is the uh, ancient Hebrew uh, scripture, that, uh, and, and everything goes from the right to the left, as you see, the aleph and then the bet. But in between them is the letter he, which means to reveal. So the word ahav in the Old Testament means to reveal the heart of the Father. And uh, so in the New Testament, we have the, the word uh, which is is the word agape, which is really the same as the transliteration of the word ahab in the Old Testament. So if we uh, use that uh, terminology, then we can use it, uh, look at Ephesians 5.25 and, and uh, use that particular understanding and say, Husbands, reveal the heart of the Father to your wives, just as Christ also revealed the heart of the Father to the church and gave himself for her. It's a privilege to be here again talking on the subject of marriage. We have spoken several times now at the ASI. The feedback from many of you has been very rewarding as you have been adopting these principles and you're striving to have a marriage that represents the relationship of Christ with his church. We had the privilege of working with couples in Sonora for over 10 years and also in Southern California area prior to that. We used the Christ Quest program from Ken Nair who works out of Phoenix, Arizona. This is a men's discipleship program that runs for three years. We would start with a seminar in our church given personally by Ken Nair that lasted a weekend. The couples were then invited to start the three-year program. We had a pastor's wife tell her husband to get out of the car after the seminar. 
he was going to have to walk home, this was one hour distance by car, unless he signed up for the program. He signed up. Another wife said she was leaving him unless he signed up. He signed up, and so it went. We met once a week. The first 12 weeks covered the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And then it went on to discover one's spiritual gift, as in Romans 12, exhorter, server, organizer, prophet, mercy, giver, or teacher. Now, Ken Nair is the person who developed the spiritual gift program that Bill Gothard presents at his seminars. Once each person identified the strengths and weaknesses of his particular gift, strides were already being made. Couples began to show more empathy for each other. How would you like to be in a room full of couples in various stages of maturity in the relationship, and you were supposed to make sense of it all? Some had a pretty good marriage. They were interested in becoming more spiritually mature in Christ and appreciated the material very much, and they appreciated the, the friendships that developed out of the group. Others were about ready to kill each other or divorce, one or the other. We encouraged all, while they were in the group, not to talk directly to each other, but to address their comments and questions through the leaders, leaders of the group. We didn't always hold to this, and when we didn't, we usually regretted this and learned the hard way why Ken Nair encouraged enforcement of this rule. Emotions ran too high at times, and the women felt like telling some of the men off, and vice versa, for not understanding their mate. It was emphasized that this was not a marriage improvement course. This was a men's discipling program. The women were not addressed publicly. This would prove too devastating to them. Most were already being blamed for the problems in their marriage. Also, in Ephesians 5, the husband is to present his wife without spot or wrinkle, just as Christ presents the church without spot or wrinkle. We wanted the men to take up that responsibility as Scripture commanded. We wanted them to learn how important they were in the marriage relationship as the leader. We did not talk publicly of severe sin problems, such as pornography or abuse, other than verbal abuse. We had the couples bring up various situations that occurred during the week that demonstrated improper attitudes. We focused on the men each time. He was not at fault necessarily, but he was responsible for the maturity of the relationship because of his leadership role. He was to learn to have the mind of Christ in each and every situation. Our problem as leaders was something like this. We had a room full of professed Christians who were living basically with no spiritual power or very little spiritual power. The men initially presented as quite self-righteous. They thought they were surrendered, but did not know they were wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. One man said he didn't understand why his son was so rebellious when he himself had never rebelled. Yet rebellion was very much a part of his life, and he did not recognize it. Some of the most difficult situations to work with were when the wife stepped in as a defender of her husband 
as we were asking him a line of questions, the classic enabler. We could only step back in those situations hoping she would learn not to make excuses for his disobedience to God and his attitudes. The men typically had the attitude, I would be a great husband if I had a different wife. In other words, if only my wife would change, things would be a lot better. To help the men accept their true leadership position, they were taught the helper or help meet concept as given in Genesis 2. So the first principle we're going to talk about this afternoon is the principle of God designed a helper. What does a helper mean? What is that concept? Uh, evangelism, page 348, says it so well. To deal with minds, with human minds, is the nicest job that was ever committed to mortal man. And really that's the, the work that we're doing is dealing with human minds. Um, in orthopedics we deal with humans' bodies but, uh, and don't do much with the mind. But, uh, but to deal with human minds is the nicest job that was ever committed to mortal man. And so we look at uh, Genesis 2 verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And uh, some other translation says help, uh, help me uh, comparable to him. It, it does it, it's not a help mate, it's a helper comparable to him. And so let's look at that word uh, helper with the ancient Hebrew, beginning with the letter ayan, which means reveals. And then the, the le next letter is the letter zayan, which is an axe. And the third letter of that word azer is resh, which means man. So this really means reveals the axe man. Well, who would be the axe man? That's what the word for enemy is, the axe man. And so, um, who then is the biggest enemy that we have to fight? Who do you think is the biggest enemy we have to fight? Okay, I hear people saying ourselves. Some people sometimes say Satan, so you're a very good group. Most people usually say Satan. But the biggest enemy we have to fight is self. That's a bigger enemy. Um, and so, uh, the word azer is used in other places in scripture so we can gain a little bit of insight into it. In uh, um, Psalms 33 verse 20, for example, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help. That's the same word helper, that word azer, and our shield. Psalms 20 verse 2, may he send you help. May he send you the azer from the sanctuary. And Psalms 121 verses 1 and 2, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. That's the same word there. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so who is a helper? A helper is someone that reveals how we are not demonstrating Christ's likeness. And our wives are designed by God to be a helper, to reveal to us when we're not being Christ-like. And of course the Holy Spirit does that work as well. A helper is someone who reveals the enemy, which is self. So self is the biggest enemy we have to fight. It allows wives to play the role God intended for them to have. Men and women tend to treat each other as the enemy, especially when there are serious problems. And I'm sure you've seen couples that are struggling and how they, they deal with each other in such a way that they consider each other the enemy. They have adversarial roles as big walls that are erected and they can't get over those big walls. But God appointed the wife to help the man see how he is not like Christ. God has appointed the wife for that. And that's sometimes a little hard for us to understand and sometimes hard for us to accept as men. Uh, but I think it's an important, uh, it's a very important concept and it's, the, it's really what brings understanding and what brings the kind of uh, joy and the peace that God intends to have in marriage so that there's harmony. Because when, if you have harmony in the home, you're going to have harmony with the children. If you do not have harmony in the home, your children will be confused. 
um, I have a sibling whose uh, marriage broke up. And uh, the, the children, they don't want to have anything to do with the church. Nothing. So 1 Peter 3, verse 7 says, You husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So we're admonished to live with our wives in an understanding way. And uh, so often, uh, you know, you've heard of people describing uh, how if, if there's a book written about how to understand the mind of a woman, you know, you'd, you'd look at it, it'd be empty because there's no way for you to understand a woman. Isn't that what we usually think? But when we look at it from God's perspective, God commands us to understand, to live with our wives in an understanding way, to understand the heart of our wife. It's a heart-to-heart connection that, that God is talking about. And it's the kind of a relationship that God has with us. Uh, from the Gottman Institute, they, uh, there was an article written uh, some time ago by Sandy Banks in the LA Times it was written up. And she wrote uh, specifically about the Gottman Institute and she called it, to sum it all up, love, honor, and cherish. And here she said that uh, marriage works best when a husband listens to his wife and does what she says. This was her assessment of what they were doing. When a wife doesn't whine or nag to get what she wants. When both partners find ways to laugh at themselves and each other to sidestep a fight. Our analysis suggested that active listening occurred very infrequently in marital conflict resolutions, and its use didn't predict marital success. And what active listening is, for example, my wife will say something to me. So I say to her, now, Judy, I heard you just say, and then I reiterate exactly what she just mentioned. That type of, of conflict resolution does not work, is what they're saying. It uh, inf- occurred very infrequently in marital conflict resolutions, and its use did not predict marital success. Instead, the marriages that seemed to work had one thing in common. This was the important thing. The husband was willing to be influenced by his wife. And wives know that when, their hus- when they are being willing to be influenced by their wives. They're very astute and very, uh, very tuned into that. We found that only those newlywed men who are accepting of influence from their wives are winding up in happy, stable marriages, Gottman said. Getting husbands to share power with their wives by accepting some of the demands she makes is critical to helping to resolve conflict. The best predictors of divorce were what Gottman called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. And one of the things that that we uh, teach the men and that we learned, that I learned when I uh, mentored with Ken Nair, is the importance of, of not having one critical word. And you know, it's amazing, uh, as long as I've been uh, doing this for the last 20 some years, uh, my wife has to remind me that was critical. Well, you just, ooh, and I have to repent of that and ask my wife to forgive me for my critical attitude. I didn't even realize I was doing it. It just comes so natural to us. It's a natural part of, of our human condition. Uh, and, or defensiveness. Uh, you know, and defensiveness means when you bring something up, they immediately have some reason as to why what you're saying doesn't have any relevance. That's defensiveness. Or contempt, you know, when uh, this other man was, was uh, con- contemptuous of his wife that I described at the beginning, uh, or else uh, you can have stonewalling. What he did when, when he would go into the other room, you know, that, that's what stonewalling is. And we're going to give an illustration of that in just a few minutes here. The men were taught that their relationship with their wife was a direct measure of their relationship with God. If their relationship with their wife was superficial, it was a given that their relationship with God was superficial, only intellectual. If they had difficulty understanding the heart of their wives, 
then they were having difficulty understanding the heart of God. They could not be in the class simply to understand their wives. They had to be there to seek to please God, understand his heart. Then they would start understanding their wives, their children, and others. Phrases we found ourselves using over and over again were, you men are forgetting how important you are to the marriage relationship. You are much more important than you think. You are the key. You are where the money is, so to speak. Your wife is not the enemy. <laughs> we emphasize the differences, differences between men and women. Women tend to be the responders in the relationship. She will listen for her husband's car in the driveway. She will hear how he closes the car door, how he comes in the door, the pressure of his foot as he walks across the floor, the expression on his face. A man won't key into any of this when his wife comes home. A wife feels lucky if her husband looks up when she walks in. Before they would understand the heart of their wives, they had to understand their own hearts. We had them identify their feelings at certain times. At first, there were only two emotions that seemed to be identified, angry or silly. They finally learned to identify hurt, sadness, feeling lonesome, stressed, agitated, irritated, joyful, blessed, afraid, eager, hopeful. It took a while for the men to feel something besides anger. They learned that anger is often a secondary emotion that they were using anger to cover their underlying feelings. We gave this example. When our son was around 10 years old, he and his father came home with a goldfish in a cup. As we were preparing the goldfish bowl, our son looked at the cup and noticed the goldfish was dead and floating on his side at the top of the water. Our son immediately showed anger, asking over and over again in a loud voice, why did he have to die? Why did he have to die? I took him around the corner to the hallway where we both sat on a chair. I said, honey, you seem so angry. Often anger is just a cover up for another emotion. He immediately burst into tears, expressing his sadness at the death of his little fish. He was using anger to keep himself from feeling his great loss. Slowly, these unempathetic, narcissistic, self-righteous, hard-hearted men began to become sympathetic and understanding of their unempathetic, defensive, hard-hearted wives. And you know what? The women became sympathetic, kind, and supportive without ever being asked to become those things. They reflected their husband's attitude back to them. The men were shocked to find they were so powerful in their in the relationship. It was not an easy process. The men failed over and over again. This was a necessary process, however. They had to learn they could not understand the heart of God or the heart of their wives without crying out to God for his supernatural help and admitting their own helplessness. Review and Herald, September 25, 1900. He who does not abhor himself cannot understand the meaning of redemption.
eight volume of the testimonies, page 292, the unaided human will has no real power to resist and overcome evil. Testimonies to Ministers 456, what is justification by faith? It is the work of God in laying the glory of man in the dust and doing for men that which is not in his power to do for himself. We were so grateful to hear Elder John Bradshaw of It Is Written speak at the SoCal Camp Meeting in the Central California Conference just last week. He tells his children, don't pray help me to be good. They will find they can't be good and they will give up. We set our children up for failure when we do this. He said, ask your child to surrender. Have them ask Jesus to live in them through his Holy Spirit. Then he quoted this from The Desire of Ages, page 668. It was heart work with Christ. And if we consent, he will so identify himself with our thoughts and aims, so blend our hearts and minds into conformity to his will, that when obeying him, we shall be but carrying out our own impulses. The will refined and sanctified will find its highest delight in doing his service. When we know God as it is our privilege to know him, our life will be a life of continual obedience through an appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with God, sin will become hateful to us. Elder Bradshaw said, teach them to pray, Jesus, I consent. We wish each of you could have a chance to be a part of this ministry. We had many say to us, this is our church. By that, they meant they so appreciated a place where hard things were dealt with and people were real with each other. It is always amazing to us how carnal we can be and yet still call ourselves Christians. We can be so disobedient to the plain words of scripture and yet be regular churchgoers, say the blessing before meals and feel we are in good standing with God. We are all so easily deceived Marriage problems can be a real blessing if they help wake us up to our real need. It is a sobering fact that, quotes, there is not one marriage in 100 that results happily. Fourth volume of the testimony is 503. That's less than 1%. A sign of maturity is not taking things personally. One must become objective in evaluating a situation. One quick way to become objective is to ask oneself, what is God trying to teach me? And Ken Nair over and over again would ask the fellows, what is God trying to teach you? What is God trying to teach you, no matter what the situation? For example, a wife just blows up in her husband's face. Now he can blow up back in her face or he can send up a prayer quickly and ask God, what are you trying to teach me? He can say to himself, I'm always late and my wife is just sick of it. You don't want me to be late, God. It doesn't bring you glory and you must be telling me I had better make your priorities my priorities. And then he can say to his wife, I'm sorry, honey, please forgive me. I am late again. I need your help and I need God to live in me to overcome this terrible habit. 
Another example, a husband may say to himself, I just blew up at my wife for her disorganization. She is in the bedroom crying and never wants to speak to me again. What is God trying to teach me? And he can say to his wife, honey, please forgive me for not loving you as God has commanded me to. You have been so patient with my weaknesses. We need to pray together that God will give us power to overcome our weaknesses, to bring glory to God. Would you be interested in a professional organizer coming in for one week and helping you to set up systems to help you? I would be willing to give up whatever in order to have the money to do this. We need to help each other. When I was at camp, when I was at camp meeting, um, I attended uh, one uh, class, and uh, there was a couple that was sitting behind me, and uh, the fellow went and uh, he went and asked the speaker. He said, um, and he complained really. He says, whenever I try to do something for my wife, I go and I try to do something nice for her, and, and, and I or do something in the kitchen, then my wife comes and she criticizes what I'm doing, and it just completely devastates me, and so I don't want to continue on. I just quit. And I leave, I go to the other room. Yeah. And so what would you say to him when he would say that to you? Is that the appropriate way to, did he minister to his wife's heart at all with that? And so, um, so when we had a little break, I, I turned around to him, I said, um, you know, I introduced myself, we kind of started talking and I said, you know, you mentioned that about, about uh, when, you're, when you try to do something nice, your wife criticizes you. And, and then you get angry about it, then you take off. Uh, have you thought about another way of dealing with your wife? And that way he says, no, I hadn't. I said, would you like for me to share with you what I think would probably help? He said, yeah, I'd like to hear what you have to say. So I said to him, I said, uh, and I, I didn't say this to her, I said this to him. What you could say to your wife is, you know, sweetheart, that is so thoughtful of you to think about me. And you're wanting me to, to do such a good job because you want me to represent the family. You want me to represent God correctly. And, uh, and I appreciate it so much. It's very hard for you to say that to me because you know that how I've reacted in the past. And I don't want to react that way anymore. You know? And, and I, I want to really minister to your heart because I, I know if, if I do things in a good way, because that's important to you, that, that you'll really be ministered to. And I looked over at his wife. What do you suppose she was doing? She was weeping. And I said, you know, I'm not married to your wife. I didn't even say anything to your wife. I just said it, I just suggested that you try this. And just in my trying it, as, as suggesting the words, you, you see how your wife was impacted? He said, yeah, boy, I sure do. I said, do you think you could do something like that for your wife the next time something like that happens? I thought a moment, he says, yeah, I think I could do that. You know, and his wife, uh, when we had a, uh, had a, a, a regular break, then she gave me a big hug, you know. But, I mean, that's the type of thing we're talking about. See, we, we so easily, we, we, our, our feelings are so quickly and easily hurt. We, and, and it's really self is on the throne when that happens, isn't it? And so part of it is, is that the men need to have a way of expressing themselves in a way that's not derogatory, that's not condemning, that's not defensive, that's not stonewalling, but that shows that he has understanding. And, and, and uh, when this fellow saw that, you could see that the light really went on. They seemed to really be appreciative of that. Sometimes it doesn't take a, but a word to get a fellow turned around. We had one couple sitting across from us at our dining room table. Occasionally we would work with couples alone. They were a little bit uh, ashamed to open up in the group. 
and so we kind of get him started in our home. And uh, I said to him, you know, you had the spirit of argumentation. And it just kind of stopped him in his tracks. But his wife said, yes, you do. And it was like right then he decided to become a learner. Now that was at the very beginning of a group and he later became one of our leaders. But it took about two and a half years to really finally get uh, until he really made the choice to surrender. And what uh, we had him do, we said, uh, and he was a violent, physically abusive man before he entered this group. And a military man. And we said, you know, you, you're bitter. How did you, what kind of a relationship did you have with your father? And boy, he described his father as a very abusive, physically, verbally abusive man. And he compared himself to his father and thought he was doing a whole lot better, which he, wa he was. We suggested he write a letter to his father, a letter of gratefulness. He was very resistant at first, but then he said, okay. And I said, you know, we said, your wife can help you, okay. So he sat down because he was really earnestly seeking to do God's will. And he wrote a beautiful letter of gratefulness to this abusive father he had. And he thanked his father for never being unfaithful to his mother. He thanked his father for giving him a strong work ethic. And he had about 10 things he, he thanked his father for. His mother and father were at a restaurant when his father opened this letter and read it. He broke down and wept when he got it. And this man in our group, he all the bitterness left him as a result of this. And he, that's when he really, really surrendered and is just an outstanding, he has the countenance of an angel these days because of that true surrender to God. Another man and his wife sat at our dining room table, oh, just angry. And I said to him, you know, your wife is your greatest asset. And this was a man with a temper. He would trash the house periodically, dump drawers out, squealed his wheels one time when leaving the parking lot after group. He was so angry. And one time we had a group that de dealt with rebellion. And for the first time in his life, he identified himself as a rebel. And he began to change from that point on. And now is an excellent Sabbath school leader teacher, Sabbath school teacher. Um, what the men don't realize is if the wife feels cherished, truly loved, she will follow her man wherever he goes. And you hear that, you hear the amens. That, that's just in a woman to be her man's helper, to help him be better, help him be more Christ-like. And boy, when he accepts that and cherishes her, values her, She'll go anywhere with him. It doesn't matter. And if a man could just really believe that. The sixth principle we're going to talk about this afternoon is the difference between men and women. We attended a local seminar. This has been a, a few years ago. 
and uh, my wife and I like to attend different uh, classes that are specifically for uh, marriage and, and uh, understanding the difference between men and women and, uh, and how uh, especially we want to, we, we look specifically for biblically based uh, programs because th that's what we're interested in. We want to see what people are saying. And so they, uh, they talked about the, the difference between men and women and then the men and women were separated. The men got together and they uh, uh, were asked to uh, come up with what we wish as uh, that our wives knew about us. So the men, what do you wish your wives knew about you? And the same thing for the women. And uh, I think you'll find what the men said especially interesting. The, number one, the husband has the right to be able to relax when he comes home. He shouldn't have to talk when he comes home. That sounded like a trumpet, didn't it? <laughs> number two, tell us as it really is instead of beating around the bush. We are not mind readers. So be, be direct. Uh, number three, timing is very important. Please do not bring something up to us just as we are going out of the door in the morning. Number four, it is not fair that God calls men to agape. Why doesn't he call women to agape? Number five, please share with us your expectations. We are a problem, we are problem solvers by nature. So share with us your expectations. And number six, don't approach us while we're busy. We can't listen in the middle of a project. You know, we, we just are, we cannot multitask. Have any of you said any of these things to your wife? What does that really tell us? What kind of message does that portray, these questions? This was an evangelical church that we visited locally. It ta taught us that if you men would if women would just understand us, everything would be okay, didn't it? Put the blame on the woman, put the responsibility and the blame both on the woman. If you just would understand us, then it would be okay. You're the problem. We're not the problem. You're the problem because of the way you, you approach things. And it was encouraging men to be selfish and focus on their rights in order to be unselfish, have an agape love or a hub, and to focus on their responsibilities. Because if you want to, if you want to start a revival, you, you have men, especially men, and women of course, but men especially, if, if you want a revival, uh, call men to responsibility. If you want a rebellion, call men to their rights. So, um, so the typical teaching is that they teach the differences between men and women in which the man can remain in his selfishness and cause his wife to understand him instead of him understanding her. And this is one of the reasons why there's uh, such a tragedy in the home today. Because the one place where you should be able to gain the greatest amount of insight, where you get the greatest amount of help, uh, isn't really helping people that much. Um, and so it's, it's interesting, we look at the, the word in, in Scripture for what the difference between husbands and wives are. I'm sorry, I forgot to take that out. <laughs> but the word for fire in Hebrew is uh, Aleph on the right and then Sheen on the left. And uh, um, what that means is the strength of the leader that destroys, that which is strong that destroys, that's what, uh, or consumes, that's what the word for fire is. Now I think you're going to find this very interesting because the word for husband has at its root that root word for fire, aleph and sheen. But in the center is the letter yud, which uh, means whose hand or work. And so when we put this together, it really means the one whose hand or work is in the midst of the fire. So the husband, his hand or his work is in the midst of the fire. 
No, that's what he's called to do. Uh, that's according to the, the Hebrew uh, word for understanding. And then, but the wife, she also has at her root the exact same thing. Isn't that interesting? The word uh, ash, which is the word for fire. And, but then at the end of it, it has the letter hey. So asha instead of uh, ash. Asha. And, um, and this means then one who comes out of the fire. So a man is the one whose hand is in the midst of the fire. The woman is the one who comes out of the fire. So it's, it's almost like marriage is a fire, isn't it? When you look at it that way. So when you put them both together, you put the husband here. Uh, 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 I forgot how that's pronounced, actually, for husband and man. Uh, and then put it together with a woman. You see that they have similarities, don't they? But then when you combine the differences between husband and wife, our awesome God is revealed for the letter Yud, uh, together with the letter He, spells the word Yah, which is what comes of creation. That's the word for God, Yah. Yahweh comes from this as well. Um, this name can be seen in many of the biblical uh, names, such as Eliyah. It's not, we say Elijah in English, but it's, it's really Eliyah. And uh, so that means... Uh, uh, um, I forgot what it means, actually, for Elijah, but, uh, but it's seen in many uh, words there. So then, if you united husband and wife together, uh, proclaim God together. But if God's left out, what happens? You have fire upon fire, only doubled. And, and uh, this means just the worst of the worst, then, uh, when, you, when you're dealing with this, because when a Hebrew word is doubled, uh, it, like king of kings, lord of lords, fool of fools, the phrase now describes the best or the worst. And so in the marriage, uh, the husband can be a consuming fire, destructive, can come home critical, condemning his wife, being defensive, stonewalling, all different kinds of ways in which a husband can destroy the heart of his home, the heart of his marriage. Um, and, uh, but, but if it's under control of the Holy Spirit, instead of being a consuming fire, it's a cleansing fire. Because he's to cleanse his wife, isn't he? That's what, Hebrews, uh, what Ephesians 5, 25 and, and those verses onward uh, describes. And so uh, we see then that uh, in 1 Peter 3, verse 7, we're admonished to, as husbands, it says, you husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So we're not, uh, we're not asked uh, or told that you can't possibly understand your wife. We are told, we're admonished, to not only that, that we are not only to understand them, but we're to live with our wives in an understanding way. And not that we think we understand them, but that our wife feels understood. Because of what my wife described there, that our relation, my relationship with my wife is reflective of my relationship with God. Because if I have a good relationship with God, it's impossible not to have a good relationship with my wife. Unless selfishness is in there. And, and I'm, I'm thinking of myself instead of, of her. And so... Um, There's a quote in Sons and Daughters of God, page 68. The more one sees of the character of God, the more humble he becomes, and the lower his estimation is of himself. 
This, indeed, is the evidence that he beholds God, that he is in union with Jesus Christ. Unless we are meek and lowly, we cannot in truth claim that we have any conception of the character of God. Men may think that they possess superior qualifications, their splendid talents, great learning, eloquence, activity, and zeal may dazzle the eye, delight the fancy, and awaken the admiration of those who cannot read beneath the surface. But unless humility and modesty are linked with these other gifts, self-glorification and self-exaltation will be seen. Unless each qualification is consecrated to God, they are looked upon by the Lord as unprofitable servants. Scripture says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And she goes on, those whose hearts are melted and subdued, those who have seen the glorious manifestation of God's character, will show no heedless presumption. Self will be lost in the consciousness they have of God's wonderful glory and their own utter unworthiness. All who value a happy and holy walk with God will leave nothing undone if only they may gain a glimpse of his glory. In every place and under every circumstance, they will pray to God that they may be allowed to see him. They will cherish that meek and contrite spirit that trembles at the word of God. And you may recognize this as a quote from the Spirit of Prophecy helps last this week in the lesson. Um, the groups that when they started, uh, they were chaotic, emotional, resentments were palpable. By the end of three years, they had become like a prayer meeting. There were testimonies of victory, closeness they felt toward God and each other, testimonies of a consistent devotional life. They spoke of their children's joy at the change in their homes. Not everyone. Some dropped out. Divorces did occur. There were the men who couldn't fully buy into the principles. Surrender didn't quite come. So when we look in the Old Testament, uh, the Lord said, I looked for a man who would stand in the gap. How many did he find? None. And we're living in a, a very tumultuous age today. Uh, we're living, uh, there's lots of temptations. You know, the internet, unbelievable. You know, when I have, I have men that call uh, periodically. And uh, sometimes I'm impressed, you know, that um, there, there are things that men struggle with that wives have no idea. They don't really understand that at all. And not all men do. About 10% of men have no struggle at all. 10% of men are so, so uh, involved in, in uh, evil that they, they just have, they're just completely consumed. And about 80% of men struggle. And uh, when, when a man is having struggle, understanding his wife, um, and, and he calls and he wants help, you know, and, and uh, things are so bad usually, it's because well, the wife has left. That's when they feel their need. Should we wait until our wives are ready to leave before we decide to, to get some help, understand where we are, in, especially in this time in this world's history? You know, and so uh, when I, 
when, I, when they're on the phone and I see they're really struggling, and they, they don't seem to have any victory. They don't seem to know how, to, how that occurs. Uh, every single time when I've asked them, are you involved in pornography and self-abuse? It's basically 100% of the time. It's rampant. And today, you don't have to go to one of these terrible stores down the street. People watch you walk in and they say, oh, I saw him walk in there. You don't have to go there. Just turn on your computer. It's right there. Um, and uh, uh, it's, it's really tragic. And it destroys uh, the marriage. It absolutely destroys the marriage because that's so selfish and self-centered. It's not, it's not other-centered. It's just thinking about yourself. And so we live in an era that, that there's all kinds of uh, distractions. And uh, Paul said to Timothy, he says, train faithful men. You know, you look at Gideon. Uh, he went and he called for an army to come. There were 30,000 men, if I remember the figures right. And they came and they, they, they were anxious to come and do the Lord's work. They wanted to do the Lord's bidding. And the Lord said, Gideon, that's way too much. I go, oh, too much? <laughs> it looks like this isn't enough to me, you know. And uh, so, so then the number, and then there were certain qualifications that they had to have. And so then, then um, so Gideon was told if they, if they do this, then they can, they can go ahead and continue on. And so then a certain number of men didn't do that. So then they were let go, sent home. But all those that followed the instruction fully, which was 300 men, you know, God was able to accomplish something powerful, way beyond any power that they themselves had. It was a supernatural power that they, they had, and, and they were able to rout the Midianites. You know, God today, he's calling for a group of men who are fully, 100%, uh, sold out to him, uh, caring, not caring for themselves so much, but really caring for, uh, for the work of God, for caring for, the, for what happens in the home, for caring for the heart of their wife. And, uh, and God is calling you uh, today for that. Um, we're to show men the essence that their marriage was really to understand the heart of their wives. And as they understand the heart of our wives, we can more clearly understand the heart of God. And those are connected. If we do not understand the heart of our wife, we cannot understand the heart of, of God. And God is calling out. I mean, we see awakenings all over the country. It's amazing. Uh, what is occurring, of what God is occurring. And the political climate is, is ripe for uh, change. And in order to do that, we must have supernatural power. We must surrender. And I'd like for, for God to say, I looked for, for a man who would stand in the gap. And he sees a whole large army of men who are willing to stand up for him fully, especially in their homes who are willing to love their wives as Christ loved the church. In 13, um, uh, 13th manuscript, uh, page 139, I want to close with this. But what human wisdom cannot do, the wisdom of God can do through the surrender of the will, the mind, the soul, the strength, the entire being to God. His providence can unite hearts in bonds that are of heavenly origin, but the result will not be a mere external interchange of affection in soft and flattering words. There will be a new experience. The loom of heaven weaves with warp and woof finer, yet more firm than those of earth. The material is not a mere tissue fabric. 
but a texture that will bear the wear and test of trial. Heart is bound to heart in the golden chain of a love that is genuine. And this is what God is looking for in you as men. Let's pause for prayer. Dear Father, we do thank you so much for those that have chosen to come here this afternoon. And we so much long to understand your heart. And we realize that we are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And we're odious to you. In fact, you have to hold your nose as you think about us even because we're so lukewarm. And I pray, Lord, that as you call forward, call forth for men who are willing to stand in the gap, that every man here that has chosen to listen to these humble words would be willing to stand in the gap, stand in the gap in his home, in a world that is so rife with evil, so rife with things that are trying to destroy our, our homes, to try to destroy our children, to try to destroy our churches, to try to destroy our country. But Lord, may we stand firm for you, not for, because of anything we've done, but because of the tremendous salvation you provided to us through Jesus. And we ask for your presence now and invite you to change our hearts, make us moldable, make us be willing to be willing to be used by you in a life that's totally abandoned, uh, abandoned from self, that's totally and totally uh, sold on you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. We have a few minutes here uh, that um, we can open up for questions. We can just open up from the floor. We wanted to leave a little time. I'm sure you'll have some questions. And we didn't really give a comprehensive uh, talk here, but we were trying to, to give some uh, points that we thought would be helpful, be interesting, that would pique your interest and encourage you to delve deeper into the ways of God and, and what God has in mind for marriage. Yes? What's the website? Life, www .org is uh, the, um That's Ken Nair's organization that he... Uh, as it, he's been the fellow we've been working with the last 22 years. So it's www.lifepartners.org. I don't know if I... Christianministries.org, yeah, I'm sorry. www.lifepartnerschristianministries.org. The reason that he added the Christian Ministries is because there's an organization called lifepartners.com that's a lesbian uh, and and homosexual organization. And he didn't want that to be mixed up, <laughs> understandably. So it's uh, it'll be Life Partners and then just Christian Ministries. It's all together, all run together, dot org. Okay. And if, if, you, if you have a problem finding, you could just Google Nair. N-A-I-R, Ken Nair. That would probably be easier to remember. If you Google that, uh, probably one of the first ones will be lifepartnerschristianministries.org. They've, they've changed their website recently, and uh, they actually have it a lot more beautiful than they've had before. But he, he'll actually do personal counseling if someone is interested. Personal, uh, actually, it's discipleship is what he describes it as. And phone, phone counseling. Phone counseling. We've had some people that have been helped tremendously just by uh, talking to him in, in person on, on the phone. Yes? Well, it depends. 
Um, see that. So the, the question, uh, the, uh, thank you. The, the question is, how successful is Life Partners at helping couples that have divorced, and in helping them to reunite in marriage? Uh, it, it's a complex problem, and see the the reason the marriage the fails in the first place, oftentimes is a reason why it can't be put back together. Usually because of the partners are fairly immature, and they're not willing to die to self. I mean, they, they have to be willing to be brought to a certain level of maturity to have it successful. But we have seen lots of couples who have separated come back, come back together and, and do well. Yeah, I had a, uh, I went and I visited all the pastors in our local conference. We were in the Southeastern California Conference until 1998. And I visited, uh, well, not all of them, but I visited quite a few of them. And Pastor Schultz was one that, that uh, I contacted. And uh, we're glad to have you here, by the way. And, uh, um, and I, uh, I went to one pastor that was uh, a fellow that was associate pastor in uh, Maury Vennon's church. And, and Maury Vennon told me, he said, um, you know, I need to know. I, I went about a, about a month and a half, two months ahead of time. I thought that was plenty of time. He said, I need to know at least four months in advance to be able to come. He said, but why don't you talk to my associate pastor? So I talked to his, his associate pastor. He promised me he'd come to the seminar. And he, um, on Friday morning, he called up. He said, you know, something's come up. I just can't come. I'm not going to be there. <laughs> and so, but it wasn't totally bad because uh, he, he had the books from Ken there. And I had expressed to him how powerful those books really were. So he had a couple he'd been struggling with and trying to help counsel the man. And they, they had ended up parting company. The wife had left and gone to Florida, and the husband was still in Southern California. And so he went and uh, he thought, you know, uh, in fact, uh, I'm, uh, I could be wrong about that. But the, anyway, they were separated. I think one, maybe one was in Florida. The other one might have been in, in Tennessee, come to think of it. They might have moved. I think that's what happened. So at any rate, um, uh, he, he thought, you know, if, if the book is all that good like Edgar says it is, you know, what harm would it do to send it to this fellow? So he sent the book, hadn't, not having ever read it, not having any idea what it really said. He sent it to this fellow, and the fellow came under real conviction. And he read it through once, he read it through twice, he read it through three times, about four times. He was really under conviction. And you know, one of the things that God has designed in marriage that actually helps is that you have children. Because you, you separate, if you don't have any children, then you can forget your spouse and just move on, you think emotionally or physically you can move on, but emotionally you, you never really move on until you resolve the problem that you've had is the problem. So he, uh, because of the children, they had to get together. So they got together and, and, uh, uh, and so then he, he said to his wife, he, he, he sat her down, he said, you know, sweetheart, I have, I have been really foolish in our marriage. And I've been reading this book by Ken Nair and, and I have, under such conviction, I have just treated you terrible. I've been a terrible husband. I have not loved you as Christ loved the church. And, and I, I want to make it up to you, but I, you know, I know that you probably aren't interested at all, but I, I, really, uh, want, I really need your forgiveness. Would you forgive me for having mistreated you all these years and having not understood your heart? And she was just overwhelmed, you know. This started a dialogue, and they moved back out west um, to the Southern California area, and um, they, they came to one of the Ken Nair seminars that we were sponsoring, and I met them, met the couple, and, uh, and they said, guess what? I said, what? I said, we're getting remarried in three weeks. Amen. And so the Lord was able to bring them back together just on the basis of reading this book. She was a college classmate of mine. Oh, wow. 
it as it turns news. out. That was good news <laughs> Yes. Right, right. Well, that, that's the problem with that, that movie, actually. At, at the very end, they say that, um, that the fellow thanked his father, and he said, the, the father said, it wasn't I that really taught you all this. It was your, your mother that told me these things, taught me these things. Uh, and see, that, that's a twisting around of God's plan. Now, can it work if a wife does that? Sure. But, but the, the problem is that, that uh, as, as husbands, we don't like to really be told what we should do, unfortunately. We, cons- we call that nagging. And in fact, Gottman even described that as nagging. You heard that. You know, so uh, so it, it, it can work, but, but the, uh, in order to work the way God intended for it to work, is, uh, is for the husband really to take that responsibility on. Because, see, a, a man is not, he's, we're not relationship motivated. I didn't bring this out this time. Uh, but a, a man is, is mechanically motivated. It's a mechanical motivation. It comes from the curse in Genesis chapter 3. But the woman is relationship motivated. You know, her desire shall be for her husband. That word desire, teshekwa, it really means a drawing after. It really, it doesn't mean that she's going to be sexually drawn to her husband. Because for most men, that would be heaven, you know. I mean, the, the, the Muslims, they, they commit suicide because they're going to have 70 virgins waiting for them. You know, they're, they're so, t- such tremendous error. I mean, there's such confusion on, on these things. Uh, you know, you look at uh, the most important thing for a man, you know, number one or two is, is, rela- uh, is sex, actually. Uh, but for a woman, it's around number 12 or 13, behind gardening. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 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 Um, well, uh, what he does in there is he, he gives a lot of what a woman can do in the marriage. And, but he, he does describe how, because he, you can't help but be impacted as a woman in a marriage by your husband. And so uh, he doesn't really give as much as you might want him to give. Now, uh, his wife now has a newsletter that she's doing, and she, um, she talks to the women a lot, and, and the women really like it because uh, then she provides things that you can do, and she gives good, good counsel. Uh, so there are a lot of things that wives can do. The, the, the ministry that, that we are involved in is really a ministry for discipling men and helping men understand their wife, the heart of their wives. And so we don't address the women at all. And yet this great change occurs in the marriage. That's, that's the incredible thing. We do not address the women. And the marriage changes. But see, the women are listening the whole time. They're listening. Now, now, there's a book out there, uh, Love and Respect, and a lot of people like that. I, I had a fellow that, that uh, we were talking to him about life partners. He said, I, I just can't buy that. But I really like this book, Love and Respect. So immediately, I was, you know, had a negative impression of it just because of his <laughs> negativity about what we were doing. And, and uh, I listened to one of the, the series, and I think it's an outstanding series. Um, but I don't think that men ought to listen to what they say to the women. And the reason I don't think the men ought to listen to that is because, you see, the problem is that it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and then it goes on and says a whole bunch of stuff. And then it says, kind of a, almost like an afterthought. It's not quite, but it almost like one. But wives, respect your husbands. And that's about all it says. It doesn't go into all the different ways that a wife can respect her husband. And so 
what happens is, as a man, I listen to that, and I hear all these things about what I should do, and, and uh, it's like uh, we were, uh, we were, as we were going through this, uh, my wife had a one word in there. I said, sweetheart, why don't we remove that word? Because if you put that in there, all they'll hear is that word, and they won't hear the rest of it. So she removed it, and I don't think any of you caught it. Um, and so, uh, but if, if a wife, if, in, in this kind of a setting, in case you, uh, in case a man listens to what, the, what he's supposed to do, you know, what the role is and responsibility he has in his home, he tends to, to think, well, 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 what about her? That's immediately the sense. What about her? Now, wives will hear, you know, we're talking to the men. They say, well, what about me? Do you see the difference? A woman is going to say, what about me? You know, aren't you going to deal with me? I need help. They know they need help. But the husband says, well, what about her? Why don't you talk to her, you see? Now, love and respect does talk to her. And, and there are a lot of good things in there. I don't want to negate them. I think they, they're doing a wonderful work. Uh, the, the, the danger I see, though, is that, that men will hear what the wives are to do, and, they will, and I'll say to Judy, well, Judy, you're supposed to respect me. Yeah. You see? But, well, Judy, now, don't you remember that Mr. Eggers said, <laughs> you see? And, then and, my, and, and a woman has no, res, no problem respecting a Christ-like man. That's right. And so, you know, when I, when I tend to go into that mode, do you know what my wife says? Edgar, you're being critical. And, oh, that's like a knife stab right in my chest. <laughs> Fortunately, I feel it like that, and so I think, oh, that was wrong. And, I'm, and do, do I usually ask forgiveness when I do that? You do. Usually? You, yes. Okay. <laughs> He's learned his lessons well. The Lord has <laughs> taught him. But Ken there uh, noticed one day he, get, he gives this example that his wife, Nancy, was seemed disrespectful to him. And he thought, well, that's a puzzle. That's usually not how she is. And he asked her, he said, Nancy, have you felt disrespected by me lately? And she said, yes, matter of fact, I thought so. And so he started treating her with more care and carefulness. And the disrespect disappeared. It just disappeared because he recognized that she's reflecting him and he's saying, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? My wife is responding a certain way. I'm not real fond of this, but so what are you trying to teach me? And he's saying, ha, huh, I haven't been very careful lately. You see how that works? So there's no, no high emotion. There's no ugly words exchanged. There's, you know, it's peaceful at home, but there's, but there's growth, growth occurring. You had a question up there? That's right. Well, because a few weeks ago I left the back door unlocked. There's no silence to be going. It's the third. That's right. That's right. And you know, yes. Oh, you can find a thousand things to fight about. I mean, literally, if you want to make an issue, you can make an issue about everything. You know, um, I tend to be a high anxiety, you know, did you forget this? Did you forget this? You know, just checking everything. And my husband has handles me with 
he's very kind and he says thank you for reminding me and I say to him oh I'm telling you too much I must get on your nerves no you can tell me a thousand times if you want you see he just relieves my fears I'm just I'm I'm worried I'm anxious he just relieves them no you can tell me anything you want and it's just so, but he could say, yes, I'm just getting sick of this, you know. <laughs> but he doesn't say that. And it's so nice that I calm down and quit doing it, you know. Well, my, my question is, how did that happen? Through training. Pardon? Through mentoring, through dis, the and discipleship program. And one other question. Uh, what, what, uh, relationship, what type of relationship did Ellen White and her husband I read recently where he had said to her, written to her, that you you keep your head on your shoulders. It doesn't fit well on mine. Yes, they had. They were both, you know, strong personalities, and some of this conflict came over Edson, their son Edson, even into adulthood. But if you read some of those letters, they're writing to each other, and, and Ellen White writing to her secretary that she told to destroy, and the secretary never destroyed. Um, it's the, the implication is that she's saying to her husband, you do not understand Edson's heart, and I'm stepping in because of this, and you're resisting me. I mean, basically, that is the bottom line. He does, he, she feels he's not treating Edson with an understanding heart. And so he has chosen not always to listen to her, but he would have been better off. James White would have been better off listening. You know. Yes. Yes. Right. Uh, he was very human. He needed, a, you know, to be converted every day just like the rest of us. So, and his spiritual gift was probably prophet. That sounds always funny to a Seventh-day Adventist ear. But um, prophets, you know, they'll see things other people won't see. They'll see the implications of things others don't see. So he would see implications, and they tend to be hard-fisted, come down, strong, you know, with strong words and so forth. So he had, you know, his own weaknesses of his gifting to deal with. Uh, but, you know, God used, he, God uses us all in spite of ourselves. But the more we understand one another, the more merciful we are to one another. The more weak and humble we are, there, but therefore the grace of God go I. You know, we're all in the same boat. The groups are effective, so effective because, see, the men literally are, they're Laodicean. They're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, and don't know it. And you see it in the group, the, and, and the fellows will say, how come he can't see it? You know, it's so obvious the way he's treating his wife, and, ooh, time is just about up. Um, but they'll see it, they'll see it in the other men, but they won't see it in themselves. And then they'll start to say to themselves and to their wives, am I that way? Is, am, I, am I that blind? And the, blind, the, the scales start falling from their eyes. 
So it's quite interesting how, but we, we need each other as a church. We can't go out there and be alone and, you know, we need each other's help and input and encouragement. We need to have open ears when someone comes with, to us with a suggestion without being defensive. Oh, really? Am I coming across that way? And just really, you know, let each other, let each other help each other, you know, and because uh, people, um, they crave heart relationships. You know, you can go to church and be lonely. You can come and go, come and go. No one says hard anything to you except how was your week and how's your job. How very superficial. They want some heart friendships, heart communication, and and that's what the groups provided. It, it was the nitty gritty, not to embarrass or shame people, but to give people the feeling. You know, we're all in this walk together. We are all struggling with the flesh together. And we're going to help each other. And when I do, when I listen to God, when I obey God, it helps you listen and obey. When I humble myself, it helps you be humble. But you see, you, you help each other do it God's way. Yeah. Any more? I think we're about out of time. Thank you so much. You've been a very attentive audience and very energetic and interested with Glenn. Yeah, and God bless you all. God bless you all. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.